0: I'd ask you to please stand with me out of reverence for the word of our Lord as you look at our passage for this morning. And uh, I'll be preaching this morning from uh, the second half, I guess the, rather the last third of, uh, of Psalm 22. and I think it's gonna, the, the slide is going to start um, from verse 21b, but I'm actually just going to set the context with, uh, by reading the, the whole of Psalm 22, which I preached the, uh, the first two-thirds of it on Sunday. So um, again, so Psalm 22, but uh, the sermon will be on 21b to 31. Psalm twenty-two, to the choir master, according to the Doe of the Dawn, a Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, from the words of my groaning? O my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer; and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust at my mother's breasts. On you I was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. All you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. This is the word of the Lord. May he write its eternal truths upon our hearts for his glory and for the building of his church. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we bow in your holy presence. Lord, we praise you for your word that points us, that directs us to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will work in me and through me to do that which I could never do, to bring life from death, to encourage and to build up those who are troubled, those who are struggling and overcome with sin. Those who are feeling that you are silent and that you will not hear their prayers. Lord, work through my weak words in the power of your Holy Spirit. Grant encouragement, grant faith, grant hope, grant peace, through the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which was proclaimed here by King David a thousand years before the crucifixion of Christ. We pray this all in the matchless name of Christ, the only Savior. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this year we have stepped away from our studies of Acts for the weekend to study Psalm 22. Last year, this time, we were finishing the gospel according to Luke. And in God's providence, I didn't plan it this way, but but as I was working through Luke, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we arrived on Good Friday at the crucifixion. And on And on on Resurrection Sunday, we're looking at the resurrection for the beginning of Luke 24. Well, three days after the resurrection, also in Luke 24, two of the disciples of Jesus are on the road to Emmaus discussing what has just taken place. They're discussing his crucifixion and trying to make sense of it. When suddenly, the Lord Jesus Christ himself appeared to them on the road. And as they walked along the road together, Not yet recognizing who he was, Jesus challenged them for their unbelief, saying to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then in verse 27, Luke tells us that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. There are many events and many things that transpired in the Scriptures that I would love to have been there to witness for myself. But one of them, one of the, I'd say the top ten, is this sermon. Out of love to have been there on the roads to Emmaus with those two disciples as Jesus expounded the Old Testament as he taught these two disciples who didn't understand, they did not yet make sense of the crucifixion of Christ, how he showed them that his life and, yes, his death and his resurrection were all the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. Again, all the scriptures ultimately point to Jesus Christ, but Psalm 22, which was written, again, by King David a thousand years earlier, must have been one of those scriptures that Jesus said pointed to him. In Psalm 22, King David was writing about his own experience, but he, he was also writing things prophetically, and in, in, in he was a, a small fulfillment, but the full and final fulfillment of the things that he was speaking about in Psalm 22, find their full and ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. As we saw on Friday in verses 1 to 21a, David's suffering and David's prayer for deliverance pointed to the suffering of Christ on the cross and his prayer for deliverance. And as such, this passage encourages us to pray for deliverance in our own suffering. We saw again and again how how David looked from his present circumstances to God, from his circumstances to God, from his circumstances back to God. And the things that, that David wrote about, he did not understand these things. He did not understand the cross of Christ as well as we do living now, God's providence and His grace after the events that took place in Calvary. But Psalm 22 does not just point to the crucifixion of Christ. The second part of Psalm 22, verses 21b to 31, also points to Christ, but it points to His resurrection, His triumph, and to the resultant praise for the victory that He has accomplished for His people. Dutch commentator William, William Van Gemmeren, Gemmeren explains that the psalm opens with an individual cry for help and closes with a portrayal of all the families of the nations worshiping the Lord. He continues, it begins by affirming God's rule and justice and mighty act of deliverance for Israel and closes with a glorious anticipation of God's rule and glorious care of the nation. He says it commences with what God had done in the past generation and ends with the expectation that future generations will serve him because they too will know the story of redemption history and will join in the proclamation of good news that Yahweh act, has acted graciously on behalf of his people. So David's deliverance in verses 21b to 31 points to Christ's deliverance and to our deliverance through Jesus Christ. In the first chapter, Two-thirds of the psalm, David models for us how to respond to suffering with prayer for deliverance. And in this latter part, he models how to respond to deliverance with praise. But again, we can do this with far greater insight, with far greater awareness of all of this means than what even what David had as he wrote this. We have a knowledge of God's holiness, and God's faithfulness towards His people through Jesus Christ. Who David only knew in in shadows and types, but who we know by name and by reality. He is the one that this psalm is ultimately about. David has poured out his complaint before God. He has felt forsaken against the onslaught of those who mocked him and who attacked him. Nonetheless, he continued to declare that God is his God and has reminded himself of God's holiness and his covenant faithfulness to his people, and has reminded himself of God's relationship with him from his childhood, even as he cries out for help. David has likened his attackers to bulls and lions and dogs, and in terms that clearly point to the cross a thousand years before the crucifixion, he speaks about the piercing of the hands and feet, the casting of lots for his clothing. These things were fulfilled explicitly on Calvary. David describes his agony. In verses 20 and 21, he cries out again for the Lord to deliver him using the same animal metaphors that he used in verses 12 and 13 and 16. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. Then look at the second half of verse 21. This is the glorious turning point of this psalm. This is the glorious turning point of all of history. You have rescued me. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. He has shifted now to the perfect tense, to the past tense. Something that has now been accomplished. You have rescued me. The Lord did come quickly to his aid. David has been delivered. However, this is not just David. This moment points to the greatest turning point in all of eternity, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And in Christ, this points to our deliverance as well. God delivered him. God heard his prayers. The writer of Hebrews describes this for us in Hebrews 5, 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence. Now I said on Friday that the father did not answer his son's prayers so that he could answer your prayers. He said he did not answer the son's prayers immediately, but he did answer. He did answer his son's prayers. And because of that answer, we can be confident that he too will answer our prayers. John testifies to these things in 1 John 5, 13 to 15. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. We were, I was talking earlier with, with Dean about how John is does us a big favor in his, in his writing. He tells us the point. The point of, uh, we read earlier that, that the point of of John, as as Matthias read for us earlier, the point of John is that I write these things, that you may know that Jesus Christ is the, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you may have life in His name. And John is telling us here in his <clears throat> in his epistle, First John, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He writes these things so that we can have confidence before Almighty God in prayer that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us, and whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. John says similarly in quoting Jesus in John 16, 23, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So when we pray in Jesus' name, it's not that we, we tack on the words in Jesus' name at the end of the prayer, as though, as though that forces God to somehow answer our prayers that he wouldn't otherwise answer. Praying in Jesus' name is praying in Jesus. It is those who are Christians, who are trusting in Christ, who are praying not on their, in their own name, but in the name of Jesus Christ who died for their sins and was raised for their justification. So the confidence that we can have, the, really the only confidence that we can have that God hears us is because of Christ. So again, coming back to David's perspective, that, that he has been heard by God, and now he responds by making sure that others are going to hear God's name. He's declaring that people will come together to celebrate, again, pointing ultimately to the victory of Christ over sin, their victory of Christ in Christ over sin. And and we'll see that there's three groups of people that are praising God here. There's praise in the congregation, verses 22 to 26. There's praise among the nations in verses 27 to 29. And there's praise among future generations in verses 30 and 31. And, And so this pattern loosely follows what we've seen in acts as Jesus proclaimed in in acts 1:8 that you will be my my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Well the outline of acts follows this pattern. The gospel went first to the Jews in Jerusalem and then br- more broadly to Judea and then next door to the half Jews in Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's where with with We just finished Acts 14, and this is really getting into the the, the, the uttermost part of the earth part of of the mission. So we're going to consider these three groups of people. I'm going to spend most of of my time on this first one, in verses 22 to 26, that there is praise in the congregation. David begins here by saying that he will tell of of God's name to his brothers. The context is clear that he's speaking of Jews, the offspring of Jacob, the offspring of Israel. David says that, that he will declare God's name in the congregation and that he will praise God. And then he commands all of those who fear God to praise God. All, of a holy, all who have a holy reverence to him, to do three things, to praise him, to glorify him, and to stand in awe of him. The cries of, of pain have given way to shouts of praise. Psalm 26, 5 and 6, again, this is fulfilled in Christ, but it's, it's being fulfilled Christ for and through Christ, for all of his people. Psalm 126, 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap in shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Many of us have have shed tears over deep griefs of Cried with you through many of the, the challenges and, and circumstances of life. And we've seen a really a first fruits of that is, as the Lord has has delivered in many respects, has delivered, and you've seen you've seen God's purpose of sanctification through those trials, that He's worked to make you more like Jesus through those trials. As, as a pastor, I, I get the superlative privilege of being, of of getting a front row seat to walk with you through these things and to see what God is doing in your lives in trials. But again, these things are the first fruits. We we get to see the the fullness of that on that day, on the day of the return of the Lord. Many of our brothers and sisters, we we prayed for for our, our brother cave this morning. Now he, by God's grace, survived and his family survived and and they're able to continue ministry before the Lord in this life. But for many others of our brothers and sisters, it is through this persecution, this is the end of their life. And so we grieve, but we do not grieve like those who have no hope because our brothers and sisters who have, have died in Christ have gone immediately into the presence of Christ. And so it's a celebration, not, not in the means by which they left this life, but a celebration of their eternal life with Christ, which is our hope as well. So here we see in the crucifixion and the resurrection, we, we really, see, we, as, as here presented by, by David in, in Psalm 22, we, we really see a, a picture of of, of the life of the believer. The, for the life of the believer, there's frankly a lot of it's trials. But there's a joy that comes through the trials as we take our eyes off of our present circumstances, our temporal circumstances, and focus on our eternal circumstances. And again, I've seen that in many of you when, when you've been through some things, walked through some things that are Horrific. Some of us still are. you had a joy in the midst of that. You can't manufacture that. You can't just, by an act of your will, make that happen. This is what happens in the life of the believer. Again, it's a picture of what Christ did for us as he suffered and died and rose again. And this is our hope as we fix our hope and we fix our eyes on Christ. This is our hope as well that we will leave this life but one day when we do we'll go to be with him forever and all of those tears will give way to shouts of joy on friday again we looked at we spoke about how you look from your present circumstances to god from your terp- to your temporal circumstances to who god is in your circumstances who god is for you in christ And so if you're going through trials, it doesn't mean that God has turned his back on you. He will never turn his back on you because there was a time when he turned his back on his son for your sins. And now in Christ, you've been accepted in the beloved. You've been adopted into God's family. God the Father is now your Father. Your heavenly Father. And he bids you to come into his presence to be conscious of the fact that you dwell in his presence, whatever is going on in this life. This is really just, we're reading just with, uh, in the, the 90 Chronicles, Chronicles the other day, is talking about, the, it's just the beginning, this life is just the beginning of the title page. The best is yet to come. And so this call to praise and to glorify and to stand in awe of God, yes, it was for the congregation of the Jews, but it's not just for the congregation of the Jews. It's for this congregation as well. Please turn with me in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, 11 and 12. And in Hebrews, really, the, the point of Hebrews is that Jesus is greater. If You want to understand Hebrews. Just remember, Jesus, you need to remember this all the time. You don't understand anything. Know that Jesus is greater. But Hebrews is about the fact that Jesus is greater. And so in Hebrews 2, 11 and 12, the writer here helps us to understand what Psalm 22 is all about. Hebrews 2, 11, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he, Christ, is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. He's here quoting Psalm 22. He's telling us what Psalm 22 is all about. The writer of Hebrews is telling us that it is Jesus Christ was ultimately speaking in Psalm 22. James Boyce explains, the writer of Hebrews shows us that Jesus also has become the Savior of his his people by becoming like them, by making them members of his own family. Just stop and think about that for a second. We who lived our lives as enemies of God, as rebels against God, have been welcomed into God's family through the death of Jesus Christ. This is the good news. There, there is no greater news than this. Jesus Christ is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And so we are called to praise God, to glorify God, and to stand in awe of God in light of the good news of the gospel, how could you do anything else? Again, there's infinite reasons why we should praise and glory and stand in awe of God. But why is David doing that specifically here? Verse 24. Because he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, because he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. David here has been rescued from a severe trial. We don't know specifically what that trial was, but it could have been many. He had a life full of trials. He felt forsaken by God, but God has heard his prayer. Again, as we've seen all along, this points ultimately to Christ. God has not hidden His face from His Son. He has heard when He cried to Him. Brothers, sisters, all of you who are trusting in Christ for your salvation, God will never hide His face from you. He hears when you cry out to Him. When God does not seem to be listening, as David experienced in verse 1, as Jesus experienced, when God does not seem to be listening, take heart. Take heart. He will not close his ears to your prayers any more than he will close his ears to the prayers of his Son, because there was a time when He did, because there's no other way that you could be saved unless the Father poured out His wrath on His Son in your place. Unless the sinless Son of God became the sin-bearer for your sins and mine, we have no hope. God would never hear our prayers, but because of Jesus Christ, He always hears our prayers. He hears all who trust in his Son because he always hears his Son. And his Son is interceding for you. He is at the right hand of God, interceding for you, my fellow Christians, even at this very moment, Romans 8.34. He also hears the Holy Spirit who is also interceding for you, according to the Word of God, at this very moment, Romans 8.27. And so may the Lord make this a motivation to faithfulness in prayer, to praise because of God's faithfulness in prayer for us. Let us praise God together. Let us glorify Him together. Let us stand in awe of Him together. This is not just a command. This is the greatest privilege that you and I can ever know. It's what we're going to be getting to do for all eternity. And we get a foretaste of that even now. Verse 25, David says that his praise to God comes in the great congregation. Now notice there's a how here. How does this happen? From you comes my praise in the great congregation. You know, anybody can sing the the words to a hymn, but true praise to God comes from God. True praise is empowered by God as he works in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, do you ever come on a, on a Sunday morning just feeling kind of, Ugh. here we are again. Feeling beat down by, by whatever's happened in the past week. Maybe beat down by your own sin in the past week. Maybe you're feeling that, that you're anxious about what might happen next week? We have this opportunity to come together on the Lord's Day. Now, you could do this every day, but there's something special when the church gathers together on the Lord's Day to worship God together. And we all have different musical abilities. But that's kind of irrelevant because true worship comes from the heart. I do look forward to the day when I get a glorified body and a glorified voice. But until now, we get the opportunity to worship God from the heart because of his work in our heart. So what's in view here in verse 25 in in this section is it would see, it seems to be a, a votive feast. Now, that's that's might not be a term that that's familiar to many of you. Some some Bible translations will will use that term, a votive feast or a votive offering. Which what's really a celebration in the dedication of a vow or the fulfillment of a vow. Okay, that votive means it's a vow feast or a, a vow offering. So this is the where where the person who has vowed a vow to God has made some prayer to God in the context of their prayer. They made a vow to God and God has answered that prayer. And so they're saying, come together, let's celebrate. God's answer to prayer. And verse 26 here shows that the the needy shall also eat and be satisfied. But this idea of of the needy eating is satisfied is as wonderful as that would be for for a a person in poverty. This doesn't just point to a, a single meal. This points to the fact that their suffering will end. That there's an end date, end date to the struggles of this life in hope that their hearts will live forever. This idea of a votive feast is described in Leviticus 7. The Old Testament law encouraged those who have made a vow to God again when praying for some specific blessing or deliverance upon receiving the answer to their prayer to fulfill their vow with a sacrifice followed by a feast. And again, they were to invite the whole community to this feast, including servants, the needy, the Levitical priests were all to come together and to eat together before the Lord. Now, of course, we are no longer under the Old Testament ceremonial law. But this is a beautiful picture, isn't it? Of the community to come to, coming together to celebrate what Christ has done. It's really pretty similar to what we do at a baptism. Right, where we've been praying earnestly for someone's salvation. And then when they come to faith, coming to faith in Christ, and then out of obedience to God, they want to declare their union with Christ in his death and resurrection by being baptized. We gather together for the baptism, and then we enjoy a feast together. Now, sometimes we'll do it here, but, but my favorite baptisms are to, to, to go down to the lake and, and to, to declare to all the people around what Christ has done and, and our, to show how the community comes together to celebrate what Christ has done. So I think we have a, somewhat a picture here in baptism, but I think it's even closer to what we do when we come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which we do every Sunday as the pinnacle of our worship together. This is the main reason that we gather as the church to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Now, I'm not saying that here in Psalm 22 that that David is speaking about the Lord's Supper. Nor am I saying that they were following Leviticus 7 at the communion table. Again, the Old Testament ceremonial law has been fulfilled in Christ. But I believe this is a parallel. We see this also in Psalm 116, verse 12. Several of us would have read it in our Bible plan, this reading plan this past week. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? As though you could pay God back for all that he's done for you in Christ. The answer comes in verses 13 and 14. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fill my vows now in the presence of all God's people. When we come to the Lord's table, we're coming together to celebrate. To celebrate Christ's sacrificial death for our sins on the cross, and his resurrection from the dead on the third day for our justification. We eat bread that represents his body. We drink a cup that represents his blood. And then we follow up with a feast, fellowshipping together around a meal. Again, it's a continuation of our celebration. We do this every single Sunday. We're going to do that this morning. And so visitors, if you are here this morning as someone who is trusting in Christ for your sins, you are welcome to come and to celebrate at this table. We welcome you as our brothers and sisters in Christ. But if you're here this morning as one who is not yet a Christian, then we would encourage you, really warn you to let the bread and the cup pass by so as not to eat and drink judgment on yourself. Now, of course, you're still welcome at at, at our feast afterwards downstairs in, in the gym. We would love for you to to come and to to see what what Christ is doing in this in this body. We'd love the opportunity to talk to you about what Christ can do for you. But the table is for Christians, and so please consider that. But again, we want to invite everybody to come to the feast afterwards. Again, I promise that I was going to spend most of of my time in thinking about the the praise in the congregation from verses uh, 22 to 26, but now more briefly, praise among the nations in verses 27 to 29. Now David is looking ahead. He's looking to something glorious in the future, the, the worship of God to the ends of the earth. Derek Kidner says that that now David's language overflows all its natural banks and the thanksgiving that is proper even to a king. Again, as we see, the the praise of God is not limited to Jews. All the families of the nations shall worship before God. This is the fulfillment of Genesis 12, 3, the Abrahamic covenant, where, where God promised Abraham that in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. But it's also the fulfillment of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 and 20 to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit of teaching them to observe all His commands. Again, as we've begun to see in our studies of Acts, as the Gospel has gone out into the Roman Empire, that many Gentiles have come to faith in Christ through the missionary efforts of the Apostle Paul in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that the majority of us here are are Gentiles. And so we are here grafted into Israel. As God sent the Apostle Paul and many others out to proclaim the gospel. As many Gentiles came to faith and we are their heirs. The mission continued as the gospel spread around the world. Now, when we think of world missions, we we think of of men like William Carey and Amy Carmichael in India and Hudson Taylor in China and David Livingston in Africa. And there is no doubt that these individuals were used powerfully by God to proclaim the name of Christ among those who had never heard of him. But there are countless other men and women throughout history and to this day who have left the comforts of home to go and to tell people about Christ. We, we prayed this morning for the chains. We support missionaries that are faithfully preaching the gospel in, in various parts of the world. But many of the people, we don't know. But their names are recorded in heaven. And I hope and pray that some among us will also go. David continues. In verse 28, kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. He is ruling now. But we're awaiting the full and final consummation of his rule at the return of Christ. The Lord reigns now, but one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. On that day, even unbelievers will bow to the ground before him because for them it is the day of judgment. However, and this thrills my heart, Revelation 7, 9, and 10 describes a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb people from all over the world. Every tribe and tongue and nation are going to be standing there with one voice, with one focus, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Come, Lord Jesus. You know, our world is, is focused on racism and that there really is no doubt that people from many different ethnic groups have been treated shamefully, throughout history, and in our own culture. Some of us here can testify to that. However, the reality is there's only one race. There's many ethnicities, but there's one race, the human race. People need to recognize that that men and women from, from every ethnicity, from every culture, are image bearers of God. But the only solution to so-called racism is the gospel. You can't legislate love. People need new hearts. They need the help of the Holy Spirit to truly even begin to love others sacrificially. And the church is a picture of this. And I praise God that this church is increasingly becoming a picture of this. As the Lord is saving people from, from different nationalities and bringing them but with us together to worship God together. This anticipates, again, the the worship of Christ around the throne for all eternity. Verse 29 says that all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship, and so will those who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. The wealthy who trusted in Christ and the poor who trusted in Christ will together be before Christ. The prospering to the perishing, the wealthy and the poor will all worship God together. And again, we get to see this in the church. You know, we have no idea what's in anybody else's bank account in this church. Praise God for that. It makes absolutely no difference how much money is in your bank account. We all worship God together. through the power of the Holy Spirit. And finally, verses 30 and 31. Praise in future generations. If people in the the future, as as David is saying, are going to worship God because of the gospel, then saying the future generations are going to praise him too said, so verses 30 and 31, Posterity shall serve Him. It should be told of the Lord to the coming generation that they shall come and proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn that He has done it. The next generation, the children who stood up and sang this morning, they're hearing the gospel in your family, in the church, And we pray earnestly that that each one of them will come to saving faith in Christ. And that if the Lord tarries, that they will then tell the gospel to another generation. That's what David is speaking here when he speaks of of God's righteousness being declared. God's righteousness here speaks ultimately of his righteousness in the gospel. Paul speaks about this in, in Romans 1, 16 and 17. The righteousness of God in the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteousness of God in the gospel is a treasure that all who trust in Christ have. It is a a treasure that we are eager to share with our children. It's a treasure that we're eager to share with anybody who will listen. This is something that David didn't see the fulfillment of yet. Generations yet unborn in David's time would hear the proclamation of the gospel and will come to faith in Christ. So again, we will declare his glories to the children in our midst and those children who are yet to be born. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Psalm 145, verse 4. Brothers and sisters, this is our privilege to proclaim the gospel and to praise Christ's name. Missions begins at home. Brothers and sisters, that's us. That's us. As we proclaim the gospel and live out the gospel before the, the children in this church and order willing before our grandchildren they will declare that he has done it that god has done it all that we could do nothing to accomplish our salvation that all that we bring is the sin that makes our salvation necessary, that Jesus Christ did it all, that he has brought all kinds of people, Jew and Gentile and rich and poor, the living, the dying, and those yet unborn to worship him in his glorious kingdom. Will you come and join us in worshiping God through faith in Jesus Christ? As the children sang, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Let's pray together. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we praise you for your life, for your death, for your resurrection, for your ascension, And we praise you in advance for your return. Lord, help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to live our lives in light of the gospel. To understand our lives in light of the gospel. To understand the lives of those around us through the gospel. Lord, may our lives be different. May there be no area of our life that is untouched by the gospel. So that we can live out the gospel before those around us and so that we can eagerly give answer when they ask to the hope that lies within us. For that hope, Lord Jesus, is you. We ask all this in your holy name. Amen.